the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now, nine minutes past 10 o'clock. Good morning and thank you for joining us. It's Thursday. That makes it the, or the, the, today is rather, the 16th morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2021. And we certainly appreciate you being with us. We always appreciate the chance to talk to Dr. Everett Piper, who joins us now for his regular segment. Dr. Piper is on the road today. In fact, he's in an airport, uh, but he's been kind enough to find a quiet spot, as quiet as you can in an airport, uh, to uh, settle in and to discuss some issues with us. Dr. Piper is a past university president. He is a best-selling author. He is a podcast radio host, and he is a weekly columnist for the Washington Times. Dr. Piper, good morning. Good morning, Bob. Again, forgive forgive me for a little bit of background news. I'm in O'Hare right now waiting for a, a, a plane to Detroit where I'm going to be speaking at a GOP fundraiser tonight. Well, you found a very, very quiet spot in that airport because you sound just fine to us. That's fantastic. Let's hope that lasts for another 20 minutes. Uh, Dr. Piper, you, you and I spoke last week to, to a very limited extent, uh, about your column about, um, uh, about natural immunization versus, uh, the synthetic version that they're trying to create with these toxins and cocktails that they, uh, misleadingly call vaccines. And you talked about an article that you wrote that really struck a chord, began trending, and then was immediately disappeared. Now we talked about it. You were frustrated about it. And I guess you were so frustrated, you wrote a whole other column about it. And I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about your recent column. And, and specifically, you can remind everybody what happened. Uh, and then we'll get into the, the, uh, the issue of they. Who is controlling the dialogue and the flow of information to Americans? Who is the they that are making these decisions? But go ahead and tell your story. Okay, to repeat from last week, very briefly, uh, I wrote my weekly column for the Washington Times, and I chose to focus on something that should be very non-confrontational. I just explained that natural immunity is a good thing. 
and that once you've had a disease, in this case, COVID, if you've survived it, fine, and you have natural immunity now, you are protected from getting it again in great measure, probably, at least the science tells us, probably in a superior fashion to that which would be derived from the vaccine. And that's all I said. And that article started trending, which is kind of unusual. And that's a big deal for an author or for a spokesperson, radio show host and whatnot. You know this. When something starts trending, you get national attention. Therefore, you sell more books and you book more speaking gigs. It's your income. It's your livelihood. Well, this was trending. And then all of a sudden, it just disappeared. Literally, I was looking at it one second on the Hill and Apple News and whatnot. And then it just disappeared. So as you know, I, I was ticked off. So my next column that we're talking about right now is I told them this story. And I said, if this doesn't bother you, if you're reading my column or listening to this commentary, and if it doesn't bother you, your mind is addled and dull. I mean, you should care because they, whoever they are, are canceling you. They're censoring you. They're silencing you. You are verboten because they have decided that whatever you have to say will not be heard. And if we don't care about that, we no longer live in a free republic. We're approaching something that smacks of the Third Reich. And I don't use that lightly. Joseph Goebbels was the minister of indoctrination and public enlightenment under Hitler. And his job was to control the ideas, control the information. And he even said there are two ways to control a culture and a country. One is with a weapon, i.e. a machine gun, and to cow everyone into silence with your violence. The other way to control people is to control the ideas and to control their spirit, he said. In other words, control their minds, control their souls. There's a late 1600s author, a Baptist minister by the name of Roger Williams, who talks about the rape of the soul. And that is exactly what's going on in our culture right now. We're allowing our souls to be violated. We're allowing our spirits to be controlled by somebody more powerful than us. We're allowing our minds to be raped. And that is indeed the message behind my story of being canceled. Yeah, and you know what, Dr. Piper, um, this is the reason why I'm the National Communications Director for uh, Citizens for Free Speech. Uh, It's because our First Amendment is being... Take you know it's being taken away from us our First Amendment rights rather you know two two ways number one your speech your expression here has been censored canceled blocked whatever you want to call it shadow banned uh, so your speech is being affected here and quite frankly our freedom of the press is being abridged as well because uh, studies have shown surveys rather I guess have shown that the, that an extraordinary number of of Americans millions of them don't get their news from traditional news sources meaning you know your television newscasts and your newspapers they get it from their social media pages and so trending stories like yours on social media pages are news and when they're being spiked like this essentially freedom of the, of the press has been violated in addition to freedom of speech and freedom of, of expression Oh, no question. No question. In a, a phrase, an, an analogy I've used on your show before is, do we believe in intellectual liberty in the academy? It's called academic freedom. Or are we going to allow ourselves to be subjects of ideological fascism where you will agree, you will submit, you will look like us, march like us, talk like us, think like us. You will do everything we do in lockstep obedience or we will silence you. 
That is ideological fascism. It's the control of the group. It's somebody that has the fascists, the bundle of sticks, that's thumping you on the head and saying, comply, submit, or else. And that's really where we are today. And there's a reason that everybody is listening to you rather than CBS and MSNBC or whatnot, because they trust you and they no longer trust the mainstream media because of this nonsense. Well, uh, it is um, it is very very dangerous, and especially when the same mindset creeps into our schools. Quite frankly, that's a little backwards. It's not creeping into our schools. It's being intentionally inserted into our schools and then creeping into the minds of the kids that they take into their into their lives and into our culture. And I want to that's my segue into two quick headlines and two quick descriptions that I want your reaction to, Doctor Everett Piper. The first one: a Virginia teacher uh, has. Uh, been reprimanded for encouraging behaviors like, I'm sorry, for saying that encouraging behaviors like following directions is promoting white supremacy. She said literally that PBIS, which is the Positive Behavioral Inventions and Support Framework that is being used by Virginia Public Schools, is white supremacy. She said, I said that it's white supremacy, and a lot of y'all want to know more about that, so here's more about that. The teacher, is uh, his name is Josh Thompson, and he's an English teacher in Blacksburg, Virginia. And what he said was um, that uh, if PBIS concerns itself with positive behaviors, um, what are those positive behaviors? It's things like making sure you're following directions, making sure, making sure you're sitting quietly, that you're in your seat, and all of these things that come from white culture. The idea of sitting quiet and being told stuff and taking things in a passive stance is not a thing in many cultures. So if we're positively enforcing these behaviors, we are, by extension, positively enforcing elements of white culture, which therefore keeps whiteness at the center and is the definition of white supremacy. Dr. Piper, I, I, I don't know if I have the words for this. That's why I bring you here. How, how, do you, how, do you, how do you respond to that, the notion that being good, following directions, respecting others, etc., is, is white supremacy? Well, I don't know if I can use the words on your show. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's my line. That's, that's why you're here. I have those words, and I can't say them, so you've got to do it the right way. <laughs> well, it's, it's, here's a word. It's asinine. This is ridiculous. This is nonsense. This is foolishness. This is juvenile. And this kid is white, by the way. He's a the teacher. He, he looks yeah, like he's, he's white. about yeah, the, 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 yeah. Teacher. He's a, he looks like he's about sixteen years old. A white kid, and he's lecturing everybody about what white supremacy is. Meaning, he'd probably be telling Larry Elder that he's a white supremacist because Larry Elder <laughs> believes in personal discipline personal responsibility, and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, being on time, working hard, and succeeding in life. So all of those values that Larry Elder or Candace Owens or Clarence Thomas or Thomas Sowell hold dear, and all of those values that have played well for them in their lives are nothing but white supremacy. This is foolishness to the extreme. Like I said, it is asinine. It makes no sense. But this is the, this is the consequence of abandoning truth in the academy. When nothing matters any longer other than, oh, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as it works for you, que sera, sera, live and let live, this is the natural consequence of having no measuring rod outside of those things being measured, like C.S. Lewis told us, because you can do no measuring any longer. General Milley wants to commit treason? Well, that doesn't matter. That's 
Treason is just a concept of white supremacy. Get rid of Shakespeare. Get rid of, uh, get rid of Mark Twain. Get rid of all of the classic authors of the days gone by. Get rid of Jefferson. Get rid of Lincoln because they're white supremacists because nothing matters any longer other than your personal feelings, your emotions, your vendetta, and your gripes and your whining. That gonna, is childish. I'm going to extend this segment a little bit to get the other one in here before we do uh, our break. Um, because you're right. This teacher in Virginia who looks like he's 16, probably fresh out of college, probably 23, 24, and maybe that impressionable millennial or whatever. Okay. This next story, also from Virginia, though, can't be dismissed with maybe youthful ignorance and recent indoctrination. This is one of the indoctrinators. Dr. Crystal Duncan Lane an instructor of human development and family science at Virginia Tech. Now, she's a doctor, so she has got to be, you know, at least, you know, in her thir- I would say pushing 30 or in her 30s. Uh, so this is somebody who cannot use youthful indiscretions as, as an excuse for this. But the syllabus for her human development 1134 class, Dr. Piper, and as a past university president, you can relate to this, it included a Who I Am section, and it reads the following uh, this way. I am a Caucasian cisgender female and first-generation college student from Appalachia who is of Scottish, British, and Norwegian heritage. I'm married to a cisgender male, and we are middle class. While I did not ask for the many privileges in my life, I have benefited from them and will continue to benefit from them, whether I like it or not. This is injustice. I am and will continue to work on a daily basis to be anti-racist and confront the innate racism within myself that is the reality and history of white people. I want to be better every day. I will transform every day. This work terrifies me every day. I invite my white students to join me on this journey. And to my students of color, I apologize for the inexcusable horrors within our shared history. Dr. Piper, if you were the president... If you were the president of this university, and you were a university president, how would you handle this particular professor's syllabus? Go ahead. Well, hopefully I never would have been stupid enough to hire this person in the first place and would have vetted her thoroughly. Second, if they started espousing this type of nonsense, I would have folded them aside privately and challenged them with some common sense. Sense that's common. Ideas that work. Socratic logic. Logic in general. I would have suggested that what she is saying makes no sense, that it is virtueless virtue signaling, and it is self-congratulatory self-flagellation. It's it's hypocrisy. It's self-refuting. She's elevating herself as being somehow superior because she's claiming to be somehow inferior. And we all know what she's doing. She's patting herself on the back for her humility and saying, boy, am I proud of my humility. This is nonsense. We're talking about the ultimate oxymoron, right? Isn't that the ultimate oxymoron? Proud of my humility. Proud of being humble. There you go. That can't happen. (laughs) There you go. There you go. And that's her her whole commentary smacks of that. Yeah, and and, and more importantly, it's, I believe, extraordinarily dangerous because there's no doubt there are going to be students in her class who read that and say, oh... You are you are amazing. Uh, you know what? I'm the same way. I'm white too, and I have privileges, and it's not fair. And I'm sorry too to everybody that has been hurt in the past by people who look like me. And I'm going to try to change that by hurting people today who look like me. 
That, yep. that, that's literally what's going to happen. And it's going to create another, you know, class, uh, you know, uh, you know, generation perhaps of, of self-flagellating, uh, virtue signalers. That's, that's very well said. Dr. Piper, let's take that break now. And then we're going to come back and talk about another issue that I know is very important to you. I haven't told you about it yet, but I will next. AM 1420, the answer. Download the free WHK mobile app and listen to your favorite WHK programs or podcasts on the go. It's free in your app store. Okay, 1025. I've got four and a half minutes left with Dr. Piper, who's only got about four and a half minutes probably before they start boarding at O'Hare. So, Dr. Piper, uh, we'll get you in and, in and out here. If I told you, sir, that a former Special Forces Army soldier beat a woman to a pulp in a parking lot, would you expect that person to be thrown in jail? Yeah, absolutely, and I do know where you're going. Okay, I do know where you're going. Absolutely, for, for, go for those ahead. who don't, for those who don't know, it didn't happen in a parking lot. It happened inside a ring, but it's the exact same thing. A 38 year old man, U.S. Special Forces soldier Alana McLaughlin, who says he's not a man but a woman decided he was going to compete against women in mixed martial arts. It was the first transgender U.S. martial arts fight since 2014. So this 38-year-old male with his more powerful body and bigger lung capacity and strength and everything else that you can imagine when a man fights a woman, beat a woman uh, you know, into a bloody pulp and eventually choked her out to the, to the point where she was forced to tap out. And this man has been heralded by the American left for breaking boundaries. He has been praised uh, for, uh, for his uh, you know, shattering of, of stereotypes. And in the victory, well, victory circle, but uh, at the end of the uh, match, he had his hand raised in victory while wearing a T-shirt that said, End Trans Genocide. He nearly beat a woman to death, but he wants to end genocide. Dr. Piper, go ahead. You know, I've said it all over and over again. I said it back in 2015, 2016, whenever it was, when a lot of the bathroom bills were being discussed around the country, I said, if we don't correct course, women's athletics is dead. It's gone. I was laughed at. I was mocked. I was ridiculed. We'll never go there. Here we are. Women's athletics is dead. Nobody cares anymore because men are now beating women on the athletic field and in the ring to the point where they're literally beating them to a pulp. This is misogynistic, LGBTQIA, SJW, BLM nonsense, CRT nonsense. These subjective identity claims where we can just name it and claim it because we feel it. This is misogynistic. Who loses? The women lose the most. It's misogynistic to the max to tell a woman she's not real and that a man can enter the ring, pretend to be a woman, and destroy her. This is not feminism. Can't be a feminist and deny the female. Yeah, and, and you know, that's the real question here is, is where are the feminists, Dr. Piper? Where are the women defenders? You know, in this, in the, I, I understand they think again. It's similar to the last story. They think they're uh, they're doing something right. They're virtue signaling on behalf of marginalized peoples, and in this case, trans. But in the interest of serving the trans agenda, they are literally selling out. You know, one half of the human population, the female half. Romans one tells us that when you start worshiping the created rather than the creator, you're given over to a reprobate mind. You can't think your way out of a paper bag. The feminists started worshiping the created rather than the creator, and they're standing on the sidelines 
speechless because they can't think of what matters any longer. They've been given over to a depraved and reprobate mind. Well, that's very well said. And, you know, the sad part about this is the uh, sports uh, agencies uh, and, and networks that aired this and that promoted this and reported on this uh, tried to uh, justify it by claiming that the male, the fighter, passed all the medicals, including a hormone panel issued by the Florida State Boxing Commission in order to compete in this event. In other words, because his hormone levels were okay, that means he didn't have stronger bone density, he didn't have stronger muscles, he didn't have bigger lung capacity, he didn't have all of the advantages that come with a physically superior male over a female, because his hormone levels were right. It's, again, it's nonsense. Is he, is he male or not? What are his genetics? What's his DNA? Well, if, you, if you've seen the pictures biology. of him, you know. If you've seen the pictures, exactly. you know. I mean, I mean, exactly. seriously, this is this. He he looks like what he is—a U.S. Army Special Forces uh, operative—and uh, he's in the in a ring beating up females. Doctor Piper, uh, make your flight on time, my friend. Thank you for making the time this morning. We'll talk soon. Blessings. Take care. All right, ten thirty. We'll get out. We'll come back. We got news here. And on the flip side, we're going to get back to the vax mandates and specifically what it means to non-union workers. Why are labor unions calling the shots for the Biden administration when it comes to vaccine mandates for employers with 100 people or more? And if you think, what do you mean they're calling the shots? You don't know that part of the story? We'll tell you that part of the story and talk to Mark Mix about it next. AM 1420, The Answer. social justice warriors if you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended this isn't it this is the bob france authority on am 1420 the answer yes indeed it is 1036 appreciate you being with us on am 1420 the answer and then why is it that you're trying to require anybody with a job or anybody who goes to school to get the COVID-19 vaccine, but you're not requiring that of migrants that continue walking across the southern border into the country? Well, look, our objective is to get as many people vaccinated across the country as humanly possible. And so the president's announcement yesterday was an effort to empower businesses, to give businesses the tools to protect their workforces. That's exactly what we did. But certainly we want everybody to get vaccinated and more people are vaccinated, whether they are migrants or whether they are workers, protects more people in the United States. But it's a requirement for people at a business with more than 100 people. It is not a requirement for migrants at the southern border. Why? That's correct. Go ahead. <laughs> I just I, I I just can't. I just can't. It's not an opportunity. It is a requirement if you are an American worker. But not if you're a migrant walking across the border illegally. Why? That's correct. If you ever asked yourself whether or not Biden's vaccine mandate is about politics and control and not about public health. You now have the answer. If it was about public health, everyone would be required, including union members. And that's where we go now. 
Apparently, the president of the United States was so is such a deep believer in his vaccine mandate for private companies uh, with the 100 employers or more that he checked in with the labor unions, the largest labor unions in the country, to get their approval before he did this. And the ones that didn't want to go along with it were given exemptions, including the United States Postal Service, because of their powerful union. Joining us now to talk about that and what people who are not union members can do is Mark Mix. He's the president of the National Right to Work Committee, a 2.8 million member strong public policy organization. Also the president of the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation. Mark, thank you for joining us. How are you this morning? I am doing well, Bob. Thanks for the opportunity to be on with you. Before we talk about union versus non-union members, uh, or people, rather, workers, and their exemption status, what is your reaction to what I just played? When the speaker for the President of the United States, the spokesperson, rather, the uh, the um, um, press secretary says that uh, that's correct. American workers must be vaccinated, but uh, illegal aliens coming to across the southern border by the thousands every single week and uh, hundreds of thousands every single month, um, they don't need to get vaccinated. That's correct. What, what's your reaction to that? Well, Bob, I think you framed it up really well there in the intro. I mean, this is uh, something that obviously uh, they have exposed the political nature of what they're trying to do. And obviously we want people to be safe. But the idea that somehow people, some people are in and some people are out because of their their status as uh, as someone who's crossed the border illegally or someone who has a union card or doesn't have a union card, mm-hmm. um, that shows the political nature of the policy. And, and folks lose faith and confidence when that happens. We lose faith and confidence when they tell us to do one thing, and then the next week they turn around and tell us not to do it. They, we lose confidence when they tell us that, you know, this shot protects us and people that are, had the shots are getting the, getting the so-called Delta variant and all of those other things. We lose confidence, and this is just another example of losing confidence in those people that we look to for guidance. I mean, we don't look to them to to impose things on us, but we look to them for guidance, and this erodes all of that. Yeah, well, you know, right? You're right. We uh, we lose confidence when the vice president of the United States tweets, "We have to vaccinate the unvaccinated in order to protect the vaccinated." Just think about that circular logic, and they have no idea what they're doing. And now let's talk about it from your vantage point when it comes to unions. Why, if Joe Biden was such a believer in the public health uh, benefits of the the, man, uh, the vaccine mandates across this country for people in uh, you know over 100 million Americans work for a company that has 100 employees or more, if he believed in it so much, why would he consult with the labor union heads before he issued the mandate, and why would he grant some of them exemptions for their membership? Well, because it's political, and because he relied on them for the money he needed to win the presidency, and the donations that come in from labor unions, I don't have to tell you, Bob, I guess you can guess what party dominates uh, in receipts of union cash. Um, you could also probably tell me that a big chunk of the rank-and-file workers in this country have different views than the so-called union leaders, uh, the union officials back here in Washington, D.C. and across the country. And one of the reasons why the unions had to be consulted is because this mandate is going to have an impact on their ability to represent the workers in their workplace. And some workers there are going to say, yes, it's fine, it's great, I want to do it, or I'm already vaccinated. Others are going to say no. And it depends on what kind of union you're talking about. You know, if you look at the American Federation of Government Employees, they say, no, we don't want to do this. And they have about 313,000 members that work for the federal government. Um, But what they did say, Bob, and this is kind of the nuance, and it gives us a chance to get kind of explore or get exposed to the nuances of labor union policy and labor policy in America. 
what the, the AFG's opposition is simply saying, look, we, we oppose the mandates because we believe we have to negotiate over it. And what does that mean? That they're going to negotiate some kind of new benefit to concede to vaccination mandates, even though a good chunk of their membership probably says, I don't want to do this. How are those workers that are under the monopoly control of the union going to react when the union says, okay, now that we've negotiated this, everyone has to get the mandate? You know, so the law enforcement uh, unions are on one side. The teachers' unions are on another side. But yet they all claim to speak for... Although they flip-flopped, though, didn't they? I'm, I'm sorry, Mark. They yeah, flip-flopped, they did. didn't yeah. they? The AFT, they, they opposed vaccine mandates as little as six months ago. Uh, you know, for yeah, their membership, right. they wanted the teachers to, well, essentially, they wanted the teachers to make up their own minds specifically because they could hide behind their home computers and teach from there at that time. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, and, and that, that is interesting. Randy Weingarten, the, the president of the American Federation of Teachers, which is an AFL-CIO affiliate, you know, was, was is basically the one that was consulted on how this TDC should write the regulations about how we go back to school or how they reopen the schools. I mean, when you get to a point where you have Verbatim. a political leader, some like of the that, language, yeah. some of the language that Weingarten threw at uh, uh, the CDC was included verbatim in the guidance. I mean, which, yeah, which, exactly. which begs the question: Who's really running the show here? You know, who, is it really science? Is it really doctors? Is it really researchers, health experts, or is it, as you said, politically connected uh, individuals? Sometimes labor union and, and other times in other places, but as you say, the, the those who bankroll the campaigns of people like Joe Biden. Yeah, and you know, Bobby, I, when everyone says follow the science, what seems to be appearing to happen to me, at least from a personal perspective, is that they're following the political science. That's what we're studying here: is political science, not science. If we if we studied science, why would Kamala Harris say that she doesn't trust a vaccine that was created by Donald Trump and now says everyone has to have it? The same vaccine, isn't that? Am I mistaken here? No, you're not. That's exactly right. That's what exactly what they're saying. And you know, here, let me ask you this: Are you personally vaccinated? You don't have to answer if you don't I, want to. I have the natural immunity that's supposed to be way better than so uh, do I. Inject. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. The reason I was going to ask you is because I don't have. I was going to tell you if you said no, I got the vaccine. I don't know how old you are, Mark. I don't care. But if you are happen to be in a vulnerable range uh, by age or for other reasons, uh, and you made the choice to get it, I was going to say good for you. I don't judge people who choose to get it. And fortunately, I know a lot of people who got it of their own free will and volition who don't judge me for not getting it. It's those who are demanding other people do what they did. Those are the ones who are, are causing a problem here, and sadly, they're the ones who are guiding government policy yeah and again it gets to this this power with getting back to the union issue and their monopoly power over workers i mean they literally have been granted the ability to be the sole voice in a workplace where well in this case workers most workers in the united states have not have never voted for a union they may be in one but roughly eight percent of all union members have had the chance to vote whether or not they wanted to be in a union because unions are basically legacy products they they persevere and they and they go on beyond uh, the people that voted for them but yeah you're coming to a point where this monopoly voice is now saying we need to negotiate over this and people look at that and say well that makes sense that makes perfect sense but then what happens when the union says okay Everyone here has to be mandated. What happens to those union members that say, I don't want to get the vaccination, or I have natural immunity, or I have questions about this, or I want to know more about it, and yet they would lose their job if they didn't get the vaccination that would now be mandated? It's kind of like forced unionism, <laughs> Bob. You know, in, in 23 states across this country, workers are forced to pay dues or fees to a union to keep their jobs or to get a job. I mean, we had mandates when it comes to union dues and fees, and somehow, you know, we kind of play over all that, 
and uh, and now we're having vaccinations or mandates for vaccinations as well. It's a really interesting topic, and it does get right to the, the nub of union power when it comes to the political science of this issue. Well, so let's go right to the heart of it here. What do non-union shop workers, people who work for companies that have 100 people or more, they're non-union, so they don't have the protections and they don't have the exemptions that were granted by Joe Biden because uh, they don't have that kind of a pull, the pull of leadership. What kind of recourse do they have from a legal perspective, or can you speak to that if they don't want to take the, the jab and they, they of course, don't want to be fired? Well, Bob, I think it's premature to speak to that because we haven't seen the actual language and how Biden is going to get around significant constitutional issues regarding this. I mean, he's trying to use a, an executive branch, the, you know, the Department of Labor and OSHA, to enforce this. Right. And there are real significant questions about whether or not they have the authority. And I suspect, you know, as soon as we see kind of the rule that they're going to propose to imp- imposing this on companies of over 100 employees, um, you know, you're going to find lawsuits and other things coming about. Now, some employers may say, look, we want to, we want to adopt this because we, we want to be safe in understanding that, you know, if someone gets sick or some, something happens that we were mandated and do it, so we get rid of our liability. But isn't it interesting that the, the manufacturers of the vaccine have said, we must have complete protection and no liability at all for the, from the impact of these shots, and that was granted by the CDC. You know, you don't get no li- any liability, and some employers look at it that way. Employees will be confronted with that, and until we see actually the rule and how it looks and whether there are exemptions for religious or for other uh, uh, exemptions, then we'll have to figure that out. Certainly employees that, that are, you know, that say, I'm not going to do it, they may be confronted with the job loss in this situation, and that is a serious matter, and you know, I don't know how you litigate that. You don't have you know ten thousand dollars to put an attorney on retainer. One thing that we do at our National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation is provide free legal aid to workers whose rights have been violated. We're still trying to gather up how we're going to present this, or if we can, under the mission that we have of it's something we can look at. Our attorneys are looking at it right now. In fact, we've talked about it several times, but we haven't seen what the actual language is going to be yet. We're talking to Mark Mix, president of the National Right to Work Committee and the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation, as he just pointed out. You know, a cynical person, of which I guess I am, might call what you just described about big pharma being uh, exempt from uh, um, uh, any requirements and also being immune from lawsuits hypocrisy. Uh, I do call that hypocrisy, as do I call the fact that how many employees are there in the United States uh, Congress? 535, 435 on the House side, 100 on the Senate side. So they qualify, and yet they have exemptions as well. How come they aren't required uh, as a body of 535 employees to, and, and, and not only were they given exemptions, Mark Mix, so were their staffs, anybody who works for one of those members of Congress. So, again, it, it just underscores the fact that if they truly believed this was necessary in the interest of public health, there would be no exemptions for union leaders and union members, nor for uh, politically connected individuals or elected officials. That's exactly right. I mean, once again, going back to the kind of the original premise that it erodes the confidence of everyone else. You know, they yeah. talk about the hesitancy of, of people. Well, we have every reason to be hesitant about this because they seem to be hesitant about it. And there's a group of people out there that are, that are I don't know how Nancy Pelosi or whether or not she talked to or Schumer talked to, to Biden about, look, don't, don't, don't impose this on us here in Congress because, you know, this is the... the what is that? What do they call that in the Hunger Games? The Capitol? You know, that's, yeah. that's where we all are. And they're, we're different from everybody else across the country, Bob. You know that, right? 
Absolutely right. And by the way, when you said you don't know if they talked to him, you do know, you know absolutely well. You yeah, just I know that you weren't there yeah. for it, so you didn't hear it. But you know, doggone well that they consulted with him, and he consulted with them before he made this uh, this. And that's why he did it. By the way, from the executive with an executive order, he did it with an executive order rather than from the legislature uh, and telling his uh, majority on the House side and his you know tie breaking majority on the Senate side uh, rather than making them pass a law to do it because then they'd have to go on the books. They'd have to go on the books. Their votes would be public that they voted to force poisons. All right, that, that's that's extreme. Force toxins, untested yeah. toxins, into the bodies of all Americans in order to keep their jobs. Nobody wants to have that on their record if they want to be reelected, and that's why he didn't make them do it. That's exactly right. You make this way too simple, Bob. That idea of pushing the red button or the green button for these people is the most horrifying thing that they can possibly experience. So, I mean, roll call votes and voice votes and all those things that they do that, uh, you know, that shield them from accountability is a very important aspect of of the political nature here in Washington, D.C., and frankly, across state capitals in this country as well. You know, they don't want to be on record because they know. They know that people are, hopefully, people are watching, and it's like about bringing it to, their, to people's attention. And that's the only way that this grand experiment in self-government can succeed is when we have accountability, but yet they reject it all the time because they know that the first thing they think about after they get elected is how to get reelected. And, and when you that's understand right. that about politicians, uh, things change, and we can change things. I believe well, that. Well, here's hoping that non-union workers affected by this all over the country can find a lawyer or a legal team or a legal defense foundation like yours uh, to advocate for them if they end up getting fired or forced uh, to take a vaccine against the world in order to keep their livelihood, to feed their families, to pay their bills, to pay their mortgage. Uh, let's hope that they can find the defense and support that the unions obviously have from the president. Mark Mix, president of National Right to Work Committee, we appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bob. All right, 1051 timeout, final timeout, in fact. And uh, I've left about eh, two, three phone calls worth of time left on the other side. So dial now. We'll get you up and on the radio. According to the U.S. Coronavirus Vaccine Tracker, over 179,289,000 people have been fully vaccinated, meaning two shots, or the one shot of the, the Johnson & Johnson. 209 million uh, have at least one dose. So let's go with just the fully vaccinated number, 179.2 million people. When added to the 43 million Americans who have had covid and recovered from it, and have a stronger inoculation, a stronger immunity from COVID-19 and its variants than the synthetic lab creations ever could. When you add them to the mix, that brings us up to what? Let me do the math here. 179 million plus 43 million. Uh, that's 222 million. Did I do it right? Uh, let me let me just punch it up on the calculator real quick because I don't want to. I was an English major, major, not a math major, trying to do that in my head. One hundred seventy nine, two eighty nine thousand plus the forty three million. No, I did with too many zeros. Dog on it. I'm sorry. I just I, I just want to throw this at you because it's important um, when we talk about what they are what they are uh, uh, trying to force now. 
after we have reached what is herd immunity, what they told us would be herd immunity. And we are there. Let's see, 179,000, or a million, rather, 289,000, plus 43 million who have had the disease and recovered from it equals... Okay, I, I can't seem to punch it up on the on the calculator and talk about it at the same time. It's around 220 million is my point. Guess what? There's 333, uh, 330 million people in this country. 220 million out of 330 million is herd immunity. That's why they won't count the naturally immunized, those who recovered from COVID-19 and have the antibodies to fight off not just the original COVID uh, uh, virus, but also the variants that are coming. You notice who's getting sick, those who got the shot. And they're the ones who are getting sick by the Delta variant because they cannot. The vaccine is not able to adjust itself the way the human body can with natural antibodies. So we have herd immunity. How dare they put this mandate through after achieving herd immunity that they told us would be an end to all of the COVID restrictions? Okay. Roz in Cleveland. Hi, Roz. Thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Hello. Hi there. You know, we had a real problem with voter suppression here in Cleveland. The couch won. Less than 17% of people voted in the primary. But they all want to complain about city government. Look who we have to choose from for mayor. Well, I'll be honest with you. Despicable. I'll be be honest with you. I, uh... I didn't like the entire primary poll. When you say, look, we have to choose from now, the final two, look at the final seven or whatever that were on the ballot. It was so disgusting, I didn't even cover it. (laughs) We got a guy who says, for a new direction, but has been head of city council for how long? Yeah. And endorsed by the current mayor. Oh, yeah, that makes me want to vote for him. And then we have Bib, whose pack comes out and says, we need cleaner air from to be um, protected from the uh, power plants in Cleveland. We have how many power plants? Ross, oh, yeah. The, the, city, the city of Cleveland, and thank you for the call, the city of Cleveland is a train wreck when it comes to leadership. And the fact that the turnout was so low just indicates how pathetic the options the people of Cleveland were given. And they bring that on themselves. They bring that on themselves. Free for all Friday tomorrow. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.